0: I have been eyeing the collection of beach bags from Macy's, and I can't wait for you to see what I choose. Shop at macyscom slash own your style.
1: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hey, fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay.
1: And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from hell of sunshine that's
2: guaranteed to light up your day
0: Last night I went to dinner with Paul at, I believe, 5.30. This is just how we do it. We go to bed. At, we go to dinner at 6 o'clock sometimes, sometimes 6.30. It's our body, our choice. We go early. We don't like crowds. We're going together. It's a big deal. We're just dressed for dinner. It's date night. We don't care what time it is. No one can tell us what time is cool. We don't care about the other people. We'll have a margarita at 3 in the afternoon because we decide. It's just what we want to do. So we go to dinner last night at an Italian restaurant that probably has... F- 75 tables in the restaurant they're in separate rooms you know one of those places that has a bar with tables and a piano and then another room with lots of tables and then there's an auxiliary room with lots of tables so we were in this auxiliary room that had I counted nine tables some of them though were were tables of six and I think eight So they had large tables. They had four tops. I don't think they had any two tops, but it was a whole auxiliary room. So we sat down. Clearly no one else was in the restaurant. We chose the corner table. Paul chose the corner spot. I don't, you know, want to see anybody in the rare chance that someone recognizes me. So I'm facing him. Great. So then there were eight tables empty and another group of four men walked in. We saw the hostess say, okay, sit. Where would you like to sit? They picked the table directly next to us. The man was touching my body. His back was to my back. Why? Why did you choose a table next to us? It's We're in a pandemic. It's 5.30. We chose to come here because we're antisocial. Why did you not choose one of these other tables? Why did you choose to sit on top of us? Because not only are we in COVID and someone's sitting on top of me and we literally are in the same pod now. So now if I get COVID, I have to call this guy and be like, hey, we don't know you and your three golf buddies in your Patagonia vests that you were all wearing because I was touching one of them. But now we all will have COVID together. So I hope you're going to set up my podcast when none of my staff can come in because you, I need you and you're in my pod now. So we all are very, very intimate. And also I was at their dinner. We were. I'm not exaggerating. My back was literally two to three inches to the, my chair back was two inches from the chair, his chair back. If he, if he chose to sit back or I chose to push my seat out for one second, we were connected. So this guy, and I know one of them, what was it? AMS. One of them uses AMS a lot, something marketing services, Amazon marketing services. He works in that, but he also is doing a documentary on diving Okay, so if you're listening, bro, I know about your documentary on diving. I'm curious how you're working on Amazon marketing services and a documentary on diving. We could follow up on that later. I'm not sure. But I all, I know too that the guy whose back was to my back, he's out at a restaurant. They were drinking red wine. The server said, would you like, what vegetable would you like? Would you like, I think they have sautéed mushrooms, sautéed onions, broccoli, broccoli rub. He said, what's broccoli rub? What? How do you not know what? Are you at a restaurant in the United States of America in 2021? Like, how do you not know what Broccoli Rob is? I just want to understand. How do you know? And he said, what's the difference between broccoli and Broccoli Rob? Like, I, Broccoli Rob isn't even cool anymore. Broccoli Rob was like a 1992, probably, to 1999 hot vegetable. We can check the dates. But, like... Broccoli Rob was right before arugula got hot. I mean, broccoli rob is not Brussels sprouts or cauliflower by or quinoa by any means. So this guy was asking, what's broccoli rob? It, for those of you who don't know what broccoli rob is, I apologize. Don't cancel me. Broccoli Rob is if broccoli, I guess, and spinach got married, except there's a little stalk in between, like it, it's a, l it's got a stem, like like um like broccolini. But it's bitter. It's got some leaves and it's got small broccoli leaves. But anyway, I just was, I don't know why. You're in a savvy restaurant. It's a nice place. You sat on top of me. We're eating, you're in my body. And I don't understand. I get to ask you these questions because you chose to sit on top of me. Who the fuck doesn't know who Broccoli Rob is in a restaurant in 2021? He chose broccoli. He didn't go the risky route. I just was very, very um, curious. And since he's going to be in my COVID pod in a matter of moments... I can cook broccoli Rob, for him in my home. I mean, he was in my life. We're together in a relationship because he sat on top of me last night. We were, Paul and I were not, we, you know, do you guys know when that happens at home? We were in his con- it, it just took over. There were four of them and two of us and we had talked a lot and they, they just came in and they just were, ta- we just, it, they just won. We were in their meal, in their conversation. We had date night with four other people. From a tech company, I think, based on their 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 vests and their Patagonia zippered fleece post-marathon attire at a fucking Italian restaurant, not knowing what broccoli rob is. So today I'm going to be interviewed by Connell Byrne, who is the CEO of the iHeart Podcast Network. He's amazing. He's a great person, a great businessman, and a wonderful partner and I'm so excited for him to interview me.
3: Hello everybody. Hello Bethany. Thank you for uh, for inviting me to be a part of this.
0: I'm excited. It's different. I'm I'm I, I was trying to think of who should interview me and I racked my brain and then the light bulb went off and I just felt absolutely 100% you.
3: Well, I got to start there. Why, why did that happen? Why did, why did, why am I the obvious candidate to interview you?
0: Um, you know, you're a business person, you're entrepreneurial, you're running, uh, a business that's on the forefront of sort of everything that's going on and very modern and current and of the moment and the future. And, uh, we had a very unique interaction in how we went into business together. It's definitely... I, it's definitely unprecedented in my career, the way that we met, and um, this is your space, this is the podcast space, and you gave me this great opportunity to be in it now with in what will soon to be soon be two shows and hopefully more and likely more. So I thought it was just all on brand and relevant and made sense.
3: Awesome. Well, I'll love it. I'll take it. Um, my, I, I'm gonna do 60 seconds on my background, so people know who's asking these questions, and that'll give them a little sense of my perspective and the context for these questions, and maybe a little bit of what I'm subjective about and stuff like that. So I came up through, um, I came up through digital media. Before that, I was a musician for a while in a rock band, but when I got serious about life and careers, I, I became, uh, um, I got into digital media. I I ran content for a website or two, and then I landed into podcasting really a while ago, like 15 years ago, launched a few podcasts. Those grew and grew into a network called Stuff Media that iHeart acquired about three and a half years ago. And that became the iHeart Podcast Network, the biggest podcast network in the country, huge network of hundreds of shows and almost 325 million downloads a month now. And then recently, I my, my role expanded a little bit. I run all of digital media for iHeart Media. You and I met because um, somebody who's also I, I think awesome, Tom Pullman, runs um, is our creative officer at iHeart. Runs all of the programming on our radio stations. Uh, had your content on his radar, and he said you should probably get in touch with Bethany fast because this is a great creator, a great show, and I. I, Tom, I'm not the podcast expert, but I think we should be working with somebody like this. And then you're right. I think it was, I think he told me that on a Saturday afternoon. And I think on a Sunday morning, you and I were sort of talking through really pretty specifically, like how would this partnership work? What would a deal look like? How can we get into business together? So you're not just making one show with us, but like building a network of your own in podcasting. And here we are.
0: Wait. Well, you're making that more professional in a sense than it was. What a- what happened from my end? Because you're on the you're on one side of it. Was I was I hadn't signed my podcast deal with another company that I was doing my podcast with, just in good faith. And literally to this day, I haven't made a dollar on that podcast. I ended up paying for that podcast because of the way that the advertising was structured. And I write about this in my book. So I was aware. I was saying to myself, "We're in the top five podcast, and then in the lifestyle section, we're high." And I didn't know anything. I've never listened to a podcast, but it feels kind of big. And we were booking people like Hillary Clinton and Mark Cuban, and, and well, I definitely wasn't going to make any money, and they weren't going to pay me any money, and I didn't understand what was going on because I didn't know what I didn't know. So I was trying to call the people that I know in the podcast world, just like off the top of my head. So I rem- I don't even know them that well, but I texted Dave Portnoy and. I emailed Liz Liz Gately at Spotify and I knew this guy, Tom. I didn't know him. I had texted him a long time ago. I didn't even know him at all. And I just reached out to him, which proves to everybody that everyone is accessible. If you're creative about it and you have something to say in a concise way. And I said to him, Have you heard about my podcast? I don't know what you if you, you know. He's like, We're very aware of it, which is the same thing you said. And I said, So what do I do? Because I need to figure out where I'm gonna do this because I want to transfer the podcast from the people I'm doing it to somewhere else with the bus thing at 55 miles an hour and Sandra Bullock driving it. And I don't want any disruption because it's doing so well. So how do I do that? And it was Halloween weekend. I called you at home and you were you just said that you were aware of it, which I was so humbled by because I Googled you and you were top 10 people, most powerful people in the podcast space, which was crazy to me. And then we launched into a very, very easy podcast Uh, And lovely negotiation and and here we are
3: I think in all the stuff you just said what's what resonates with me is the challenge of knowing your worth and Knowing the right next move in a medium that is changing. I mean almost literally every hour where you're like I'm top five in this medium But I don't know what that means because I don't really know what the medium means yet because no one does. What's that worth? Mm -hmm. And then then the flip side, because that can be worth either zero or a billion. You don't know because the medium hasn't shaken out yet.
0: Right. And I didn't know there was even a list. I didn't know what the metric was because I don't know about podcasts. And you didn't take advantage of that aspect. You were very fair. I knew I had something. I knew I was going to talk to people and I figured out that you were the guy and you were just very upfront. And I, I, we have a similar, the reason that I wanted you to interview me is because we have a, we have a very similar tenant in business that, is, that has become very apparent. We're very straightforward and direct. Everybody could be slightly uncomfortable in a deal, but no one's suffering and we're both excited. And it just, we both were not playing games we didn't over negotiate or i'd say i'd take this but would really take that and vice versa it was just very the way i do everything from buying a house to anything else just like straight up this is what it is this is what it's not you were exactly the same way from my perspective
3: yeah i think there's uh i think that's all very true i feel the same so look i want to i'm going to rewind a little bit now and i want to actually start the same way that you start some of your conversations with your guests um and i want to get into your background i think it's super interesting people's origin stories because I think it tells you almost uh, everything about them. My mom used to tell me, show me your friends and I'll I'll show you who you are. I think it's more like, show me where you come from and what you started out as and, and I'll know a whole lot about you. Maybe both things are true. Um, so you grew up around the racetrack.
0: Yep, I did.
3: You worked as what's called a hot walker I'm just going to stop right there (laughs) because there's a whole lot. What were you doing growing up around the racetrack? And what in God's name is a hot walker?
0: So the racetrack, there really are very few accurate movies or television shows. Zero, frankly, that have ever depicted what goes on at a thoroughbred racetrack. That's where the jockeys on the horse, not the trotters, where the guy's driving a sort of cart on the horse. So they're thoroughbreds. They're like driving Ferraris and... uh. Going around that track is faster. is the most exciting time when you watch a horse go around a track. But the the people around it, it's very Downton Abbey upstairs downstairs. It's either degenerates, you know, gamblers, bookmakers, people hustling on the back side of the racetrack, and then on the front side you have Europeans and sheiks and blue bloods and money, and those are the owners of the horses. So my father and stepfather uh were both and my mother's father all three were and and actually my mother's sister were all horse trainers so they're sort of right in the middle they're on the backside during the morning, where the horses are exercising, and you're working with exercise riders and jockeys trying to get on horses for the afternoon races, racers and grooms and hot walkers, which are people that when the horses come off the track, someone has to wash them and cool them down in the shed row. You can't. There's an expression about women ridden hard and put away wet. It's it means like she looks a little. Rough around the edges, and it it comes from horses because the horses have just been off the track right into the stall, which is not a good idea. So I grew up waking up at five o'clock in the morning in Saratoga, upstate New York, at Belmont in uh and in, in, in Long Island and and Aqueduct in Queens. I grew up going at five o'clock in the morning to Dunkin' Donuts, then to the shed row on the backside, hanging out with the grooms and the trainers and those people. And I was a hot walker and then I would go to home, you go home, you get cleaned up and then you go back to the racetrack and I would hang out with the jockeys and the shoe shine guys. And I grew up going to the racetrack. I didn't go to summer camp. I went to the racetrack and then when I got older, I gambled and I just was aware of odds and money and hustle and that crazy degenerate lifestyle very, very early.
3: Why can't you put a horse away right away? What happens?
0: Well, it's like putting somebody that goes and runs. Michael Phelps just gets out of the pool after a crazy workout and just decides to just—I don't know—just put his clothes on and go to dinner. I'm sure there's like a stretching, cooling down, an athlete that comes off of a doing the Super Bowl has to ice down and and you know either get their legs massaged, their muscles, take a hot shower, or whatever it is. It's just it's just too abrupt a horse to come they're they're literally racehorse they're they're like Ferrari Lamborghini race cars and you can't just take a car from 160 to 0 in 2 seconds you got to cool it down
3: did that exposure to gambling and uh, and 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 a kind of very weird aspect of finance did that expose you early to um, i don't want to sort of make it sound more than it is but to entrepreneurialism
0: well You know, nobody cares who came in second at the Kentucky Derby, even if it's by a nose, by a hair. Photo finishes are literally no one knows who won. They have to go basically with a microscope and look at the camera and see. And nobody ever hears of who the second or third was. So I have a winning mentality and a competitive nature based on having a Hall of Fame uh, trainer as a father and growing up around that just gritty atmosphere where it's it's not a coddling... Ple- pleasant place. It's just aggressive. So that's like any. You know, I went to 13 schools. I was just telling Bryn the other day. I've got. I went to 13 schools. I was always new. I always sort of had to just jump into something unexpected and make something out of it. Uh, I grew up in, you know, a, a, a household that was challenging. Where I've called police. I've seen drugs. I've seen alcohol. I've seen abuse. I've seen all of it. So life. I didn't know it was so hard but I mean as you get old you look back life and you have I have a daughter life was definitely not my childhood was definitely not what one might call easy or traditional. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. Love this.
6: Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done
3: Thirteen different schools. what did that teach you? Every time you walk into a new school, what were your first one or two or three moves?
0: Uh I liked the reinventing. I liked the excitement of the fresh start. I liked the open road. Mm. Um I just it's just a great way to for the rest of your life, be good in any situation. I don't care if I'm sitting alone anywhere. I've always been okay to be to walk alone, be alone, eat alone, do things by myself. Um, I was an only child. So I just think that I've always had that figure it out mentality. I'm not, I've never been coddled. I would make my own doctor's appointments. I've never been cushioned or coddled or had anyone really do anything for me.
3: It's really interesting. I think that that's, uh, that's probably also something we didn't know that we share is that I, I also, um, that's a skill you hone. I think as a kid is the ability to be alone and be okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was the opposite on the surface of things. I was the last of seven children. Oh, wow. But being the last, the thing people forget there is you spend a lot of time as an only child because everybody else has left the house at some point.
0: And parenting isn't that existent anymore.
3: Yeah, that's right. They're older. So a lot of time alone, and I got really comfortable with that. You, You talk a lot when you talk to your guests, though. And maybe you've covered some of this already in some of these answers, but you talk about your guests noise their mental interference um what is that what 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 do you mean by i mean i I have a sense of it like what does that mean to you though why is that an important point to you that you bring up every now and then
0: well there's a man named breck coston and he's in la and he does these he used to work with doing marketing for tony robbins i think but he's sort of this sort of like Self-help life coach guru, and in a very logical, non-Freudian way, just sort of get out of your own way, intervene in your own behavior, etc. Years ago, I was at a crossroads, and I did his Freedom course, and I just liked the name of it, and I couldn't afford to do it, but I just felt like the name, the word "freedom" sounded great for me. I just wanted to unleash. Uh, And he had this concept that he called "noise," and it just spoke to me immediately, and, and because it was so literal and. You could just, anyone could understand it, that you have noise in different areas. For some people, it's money. For other people, it's it's their weight, their body image, uh, social. It could be anything, organizational noise, religion. There's a million things that it could be. So it just, I just related to it because everybody's noisy in different areas.
3: What What's your noise?
0: So... I have because of I believe I can't know it for sure but because of all of those moves and not having any childhood pictures and everything I I own always being moved everywhere and just not having any real quote unquote stuff from when I was a child I am painfully organized and I have stuff noise. It's a it's like a it's like a it's a I don't want to say it's a problem. It could it borders a problem. It's an issue. It's it's completely present that I don't like a lot of clutter. I don't like anything to be out of order. I like things around me to be organized and in control. And it's been very good for me for business and very good for me for um, my home spaces and utilization of space, but it's noisy. So you have to not try to get activated in these areas. Activation is sort of, is not a Breck thing that kind of came from me, where people who have noise in different areas need to try to not provoke and activate those areas so if you have money noise which i also have money noise because i came from none and as a child we would have literally six cars in the driveway and then no no cars in the driveway and my stepfather would be asking me for money out of my piggy bank to pay off um a gambling debt literally it happened and we would have my room would have furniture in it but the rest of the house had zero furniture and just a a card table that we ate on so i didn't totally understand that, but it seems strange. But when you put the pieces together later, you understand that. So I have money noise because I had none for so long and I understood that. And I was uncomfortable, but comfortable there because I just knew that you have nothing. It's not, it's not a lot to really work with. But as I became more successful, figuring out how to know when it's okay to spend on something, investing and saving, and it's just noisy. So other people have that too.
3: When you, like like to dig into that a little bit, it, it to put it in an oversimplified way, coming from nothing, sometimes nothing, it's almost even worse than nothing in a way because it's completely unpredictable. Like one day you got a thing and the next day all the cars are gone from the driveway to now certainly am, am, amounting to much more than that. What is it like when you look to your left and right and you, you interact with the wealthy of the world? Does it... Does it make you kind of angry? Does it? What? Like, how do you, how do you approach those that community that you're now inherently a part of?
0: Well, short of poverty and people who really have nothing, you know, the middle class and even the lower middle class, some they sometimes because they might have family or parents or a family home, they feel some sense of security in some way. Based on just knowing what it is, understanding how to budget and what you're coming from, but being at the racetrack and then seeing money from a gambling debt and then seeing yourself be broke, it's too tumultuous and up and down. And that's not balance. That's not stability. And I always, even as a kid, when I used to wish, I used to blow out candles, I would wish as a child, as a seven-year-old child, for stability. It was my one wish. Oh, wow. And I did not, it didn't mean money. It just meant like just just balance, not to be the kid that got a haircut that I didn't like and then my stepfather would take me to Florida like for to, and take me out of school like it just wasn't a normal childhood in any way it was very hustler things you see in movies like that kind of kid like it did school didn't matter nothing matters it's just it does one day you have money the next day you don't just upside down but sometimes people who are in the middle class and in the lower middle class they have a family home they feel like they have parents who might have some sort of retirement fund or some cushion i was really on my own so young that i always just felt there's nobody else i don't have family i didn't have a relationship with my with my parents after a very young age and so i was on my own so it was sort of exasperating in my 30s to still be single still be broke not really know what i was going to do on my career path and really just think it looked like a grim outlook if i didn't hit it so to to be around other people who have serious wealth um you know i'm i'm surprised by people i'm surprised by how non generous wealthy people are when no one's looking mm. they're very generous when it's at a big charity event or when people are looking but i know because i've done 300 million dollars in relief work worldwide and i know who does it for no one to know you'd be shocked By people like Elvis Duran is a random example of someone who donates when no one's looking. And then there are other people who donate when people are looking. You know, Billy Joel, another one, doesn't want any credit. Uh, You know, just certain people that don't want any credit. And then other people who really want the credit. And just to be so naive to think that the pandemic would inspire a lessening in superficiality. And to watch TikTok... And bragging and the flaunting of the bodies and the hair and the lashes and the bags and the, oh my God, the humble bragging is just endless. So I just, it's just gross. Because I didn't grow up, we I, I grew up when you didn't take pictures of yourself to show everybody how good you looked. Yeah. It just seemed counterintuitive. Look at me. And we have to do it because of social media, but it's it's just never going to be comfortable to me. I just, I do it because, oh, I'm wearing makeup today. Let's take a picture and you're making a sandwich. That'll rate, that'll be good for business because everyone's up your ass about how, you know, you need to do that for business and for the podcast and what's my background and it's just exhausting and I just test it.
3: Is it hard when you, uh, when you look at your own kit? Are you, are are you, you, do the thoughts go through your head of like, lots of stuff I could ask here. Like number one, all I want to provide for you actually is love and stability, the money and all that stuff doesn't matter. And then the second question at least is, wow, kid, you have a really brutal world you're going to grow up in with the social media of it all and the self-promote, the the inherent self-promotion that we're in today, hour to hour. Like what thoughts go through your head as you look to your own kid?
0: Um... You know, I really hope that she doesn't hear this podcast because she wrote a letter to Santa and all she asked for was just family and for me to be happy and it, I was brought to tears. I happen to have, listen, I'm strict. I'm strict and indulgent and then there's a line. But for some reason, my daughter has this mentality. She went from public to private school and it's almost like she walked in there and just like just thought that she was this kid who had won the lottery or something. It's weird. She just has this I have a little bit of a poor mentality, too, in certain ways. Uh, it's ridiculous because I have really nice things and nice cars. But it, there's just, you know what I'm talking about if you're listening, if you have that sort of poverty mentality on some level. And she just innately has that. She's just grateful and she doesn't ask. And she's just loving and a free spirit artist. So I'm very, very, very lucky to... Um, when she teeters on the edge of being spoiled and pushing and there's a little bit of more I snap it right away. I do not negotiate with terrorists. I don't tolerate spoiled and I've just sort of always had it on lock. Even as a kid, I remember being exhausted and not making the TV be, TV be her babysitter. So when she woke up at 6 o'clock, I just got up with her, even though I was like, please, I swear my goodbye. You know, you, you just want to put them in front of the TV for their whole day because they're just endless. But I always was disciplined the way I am with work about parenting in that way. And she's an extraordinary, sweet person. We're, we're early in the game. She's just a tween. But I want her to know, and I can't, she won't know until I take her on these relief missions what really goes on. You know, She we watched the show Made, and she gets it, and I'll reference that. I just feel like she has to feel it and really see it. But we're getting closer to that, and um, there's always the, the, it's always, I don't want to take her if it's dangerous, but I don't want to take her if it's too cushy. So there's always that. Line that I'm trying to ride when I take her on a relief mission. I want. I also want to traumatize her. Right. So there's. there's I got to find the right mission where it's right in between. But you know, we, being parent is uh, interesting because there's no way that she'll have the work ethic and the hunger that I had. Maybe there is. Maybe she's an artist and she's amazing and she does art for hours at a time. But that's okay if she doesn't. I just want her to be happy. We just want our kids to be happy. <laughs> podcast producer yeah snag a job's got a worker for that with their easy to use platform you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard right snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly visit snagajob.com or text snag to 24-24-24 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
4: I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where...
6: Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done
3: Let me go back to uh, to to a different beginning, which is uh, Skinny Girl. So you were several things prior to that, and I, but I want to sort of try to understand the the moment that that was born out of. You were a production assistant on Saved by the Bell. You became a natural food chef. You produced events. You had already started Bethany's Bethany Bakes, and then and then Skinny Girl. What what? Where did this come from?
0: It's funny because there was – when you asked me about growing up at the racetrack and, you know, no one used the word – I was a natural food chef before it was sort of cool, meaning I went to culinary school just because I was interested in health and cooking and allergic to fish. But it wasn't called anything. It wasn't – I was a natural food chef. It wasn't a raw, plant-based. It's all this douchebaggery that I, I just wasn't part of. That was literally 20 years ago. And it wasn't a thing. But even earlier than that, a brand wasn't a thing that everybody mentioned in a personal way or a lifestyle way or a general way. No one said brand. No one said entrepreneur. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm an (laughs) entrepreneur. No one said this bullshit. It just, you just, I don't, I just had ideas and I executed them. I, you know, I didn't know that I was on the forefront of anything. I didn't know that there was no raw food, plant-based diet people. I didn't know that there was no low calorie cocktail space at all that I created that I created the word skinny in front of food I didn't know I was an entrepreneur I don't think of myself as an author there's all these labels that people use so I just guess in retrospect I was an entrepreneur because I just like to I had ideas I wanted to execute them ever since I was a little kid ever since I was a kid
3: where did you get the idea for skinny girl like what specifically uh Came to, came into your head,
0: just a problem and a solution. Just a being young, drinking brown liquor, getting the worst hangover, feeling bloated, feeling disgusting, caring about calories. I guess in college and. Just saying, I personally would like to have a drink that I want to drink. Meaning those flavored vodkas were big. So you got a raspberry flavored vodka and you pretended it was that sweet cosmopolitan that we all loved and it just wasn't. And then you kept going and then you'd end up drinking one or two drinks getting buzzed enough to have no judgment. And then you drink the frozen sugary 1,200 calorie margarita you really wanted. So I just wanted to make a drink for myself at home that was sweet enough that you felt like you were having a margarita... But not sweet, not so sweet that you didn't trust it, and you were gonna feel like crap the next day. So I was—I really am responsible for a lot. The majority of the women drinking Blanco tequila with lime, with club soda—that whole thing started from my original Skinny Girl recipe—and with people ordering Skinny Skinny margaritas or Skinny pizza or lattes or any of that. So it was. I mentioned what I was drinking and one of the women on the show was just appalled that I was drinking tequila because women didn't drink tequila. You drank it in college as brown tequila shots. You didn't drink it back then, 15 years ago. So she was like, you're drinking tequila? And I said, well, yeah. And it's I just said, it's a skinny girl's margarita. And I don't know what the hell happened, but it was asked on the reunion of the Housewives what is in it. I said what I used to make it with and... By the time that aired, all the bartenders were saying to me when I would order it, just the recipe, everyone's ordering this drink, this drink. I can't sell enough of it. And I was like, I invented that drink. And I thought of Sarah Jessica Parker and Sex and the City and how no one had monetized the Cosmo. They, they made it popular and no one made any money off of right. it. SJP Cosmo, Sex and the City Cosmo. So I thought, I got to make this in bottles. And everyone said no. I asked friends of mine. I asked a publicist, a big-time publicist. Can you connect me to uh, the people at Cuervo, which is part of Diageo? She didn't even come to the meeting with me. They said no. I knew a guy who was high up at Bacardi. I said, this seems like a fuck you idea. He said, there's no such thing. No one has a fuck. You can't break through. Liquor business is so hard. Just be on your TV show. No. I went to Patron. No. I went to everybody at Diageo. No. Finally, um, so I did it myself. So I got a partner, the only person who understood what I was talking about. We basically did a cocktail napkin deal with a lawyer that he might as well be a dentist or a veterinarian. (laughs) He didn't specialize in anything, just like $100, $200 an hour lawyer. And we did the deal and that was it.
3: That was one of my questions, is why did you launch this? Why didn't you bring this to uh, to an existing company? It sounds like you did, and they all were like, no, nah, you don't understand what you're signing up for, but you very well did.
0: Well, no, and also, don't forget, so this used to be, I used to go to try to beg to go to the events at the Food and Wine Festival, and Rachel Ray would be there, and all these people would be there, and I remember seeing all the celebrities at the Food and Wine Festival told that their liquor has to be behind their backs, and you weren't allowed to take a picture because of, because of um entertainers and substance abuse so nobody would sit there taking a picture with a cocktail it was a no-no and literally nobody besides sammy hagar diddy was right before me but not so far before me sammy hagar diddy and a little brand that danny devito did of limoncello and um the guy with the skull from uh Saturday Night Live D- D- Dan Aykroyd, nobody was in the liquor business there was no there was no such thing as doing a bottle signing at a liquor store like a celebrity celebrities weren't in the space that is completely because of me Clo- I can't, Clooney's deal is because of me all these deals they are Ryan Reynolds Justin Timberlake went into a vodka with my partners Shaq went into a uh, a Hennessy with my partners and they all told me all the people in the liquor business said everybody every celebrity came to us saying we want a Bethany Frankel deal because of the Forbes article
3: what would the what would the one thing you could tell yourself when you're starting out you're starting up skinny girl and I imagine it's exciting but it's also kind of terrifying and it's keeping you up at night and you got to make this business work what's the one thing you tell yourself now uh, back then to do differently
0: oh, I wish I could do then what I'm doing now. There's nothing like a pure idea. There's nothing like not having all this corporate decision making around you and people who are actually supposed to be in the positions they're in. And and I have multi-billion dollar partners in salad dressings, in popcorn. I mean, I have in, not multi-billion, in HSN, in all of this and i'm successful in all these areas i have no other category that's as successful as i was in liquor because you know who was doing it me i what and the same my first book was just me it was the ultimate hustle it was pre social media just the beginning of twitter no instagram no snapchat no tiktok this was old school grit guerrilla marketing I mean, we ran out of bottles. We couldn't produce as fast as people wanted it. And it's not a product bag. You're not going to act like it's a limited edition. It's a damn bottle of alcohol. So I had to create my own marketing um, on uh, saying to people, I'm very sorry. We know we can't keep up with the supply, which is totally, we we can't keep up with the demand. Something that now Kim Kardashian does all the time. Hey, we sold out. This whole thing. I I was just like doing it with liquor long before anybody else was doing it. And I was telling my partner, get me a shrink-wrapped Skinny Girl car. Get me it for the show by the time the show's filming. And when we filmed that same woman who criticized the original tequila drinking, she said, you are I mean, I can't believe you're driving that car. And I said, well, I don't have a car because I didn't. And she said, well, it's wrapped in Skinny Girl. I'm paraphrasing. And I said, well, you're wearing a belt that has an H on it. They're not paying. She said, right, well, they're not paying me. And I said, exactly, you dumb fuck. That's right. the point. You're not making any money on it. You're marketing somebody else's brand and making no money. At least I'm looking like an idiot in a beetle. but it says skinny girl. And you know, when I was on the cover of Forbes, I guess I got the last laugh. So <laughs> I, don't see Hermes, I don't see Hermes paying her any money.
3: Let me ask the same question, but, but different angle. What would you tell, what's the one thing you would tell that, um, that young girl who is a hot walker of horses around the racetrack who doesn't have a lot of stability. Some days are great. Other days are bad. Um, What's the one thing you tell that girl?
0: It's what I tell my tween daughter who, you know, is a very sensitive person and goes through it in this sometimes middle school uh, circumstances. I say, all of this does not matter. It's going to make you who you are. You have to practice in these areas of adversity because they'll make you stronger later in life. If nothing bad happens to you, you won't have any life experiences to get you through later. And like early business deals, early business deals, I made so many mistakes. Uh, not that I don't make mistakes now, but you want to make fewer mistakes now when the numbers are higher and the deals are bigger. You know, So early, I made a lot of mistakes. It's better that I made mistakes with that first production company I did my podcast deal with than making mistakes in I deal with you who is a multi-billion dollar company another company I'm partners with so it, it, the mistakes early and the hardships and the challenges and the emotional unrest the struggle is totally real but when you're older and you have less responsibility I mean you have more responsibility it's going to get more real so just you'll use this and this will give you the skill set and the tools to deal with what goes on later so I was early equipped for challenges Podcast producer, yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text Snag to 24 24 24 to talk to an expert snagajob.com where america goes to hire
4: i'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for god to give you your next step and you don't know what it is yet you need god to show you your next step because god i can't stay where i am like i am where it is this isn't going to work I, i have to move on but i don't know where
6: Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done
3: have what you've called sometimes a full bucket philosophy. What is that?
0: I'm constantly trying to stay out of the weeds and also I'm an idea hamster, so it's hard for me to control myself and not ex- is not launching new ideas. So I'd rather have the ideas though I, I want my I'd rather have fewer buckets full. So I'd rather have s- 3 buckets full than 6 buckets half full. Meaning you can't have your ass in 42 places and just you want to do, you can't please everybody. So you've got to be disciplined and militant in your business decisions because moms in particular, their life is a time suck. It's the lun- It's the lunches. It's the trying to work out, trying to get a good night's sleep, trying to be a good wife, trying to be a good parent, trying to ha- have a good business idea, go to work, you know, g- plan a vacation. It's exhausting and it's endless. And that's why you get into a time suck of being down some online marketing uh shopping rabbit hole and all of a sudden it's late and you didn't get anything done and your house feels like a wreck and you're just out of order so you got to be disciplined about what you're really spending your time on as you get older because time is more valuable than money not getting any of it back and the days just fly by so how are you spending them
3: how do you hone that uh, selective uh, filter? How do you decide what's a good thing to, what's a good bucket to fill up and what's a good bucket not to worry about at all? And does that create anxiety of, oh crap, maybe I'm missing something. I'll do a little bit of that. How do you do that?
0: Well, the reason I met, the reason I said it's positive me being so organized earlier is because to be organized means you're not spending all this time not knowing where the hell anything is or where you're going or what you're doing and you don't feel scattered. And that's down to your, lack of junk drawer in your fridge to your condiments to your expired food to your kids toys to your kids clothes that are too small just all of it just stay on top of things as you go because they overwhelm you and it happened to a lot of people during the pandemic stuck in their house with their own stuff just being like what the hell have I been doing buying this crap you know being disorganized so everyone's been on top of their own life and it's been a shift and that will probably be good make us spend more wisely more quality all of that but that really applies to to how to maximize your time because I don't I don't procrastinate. The second I get it, I do it and I tell to everyone around it's very difficult to keep up with me because I want it done now, check the box, write it down, check the box. So I do that. And it's it's amazing and it's simple and you got to Nike said it best, just do it. But as far as how to know what to do, it's got to be the ROI. So the doing the housewives I got laughs out of it. I found it to be, forget the beginning. I was broke and I got paid $7,200. So I needed to do anything I could do. I knew nothing. I'm talking about later. It was a funny. It was a good outlet. It was a great platform. I was being paid a lot of money. And I I was doing it for the money in many ways. I like the humor. I like all that. But it was getting to be where I was doing it for the money. And that's when you're saying the ROI. How do I balance that? The ROI, the return on the investment of my time, the money was a lot. So that was great. And that my business managers liked it and everybody liked it because it was a big check. But the ROI on my personal life and my self-worth and who I felt that I was, wasn't a great expense of my time because it's also sucking time away from really building and nurturing a brand, not just like a one-off. I'm doing a show, I'm getting paid and that's it. Working on iHeart, for example, doing my podcast, I'm getting a creative outlet. I love doing it. I'm learning every day. I'm I'm just—I live for it. I'm growing, and we're building—building building something that will be worth a lot of money. I'm paying attention to it, and so I'm planting the seeds. The ROI isn't entirely there now financially, but it's there um, spiritually, emotionally, and that entertaining outlet philanthropy is a total other bucket that's just like you're helping people you're literally saving lives you're spending a good portion of your life doing that because you're giving back and it's just like it's instant gratification it's making a mark on the world that's a good example for my daughter and then my daughter being a parent I've never had a nanny I'm really involved in her life I put everything into it that's a huge ROI that time with her I won't get back you just got to be meaningful. So if you think of every aspect of your life, there are things that I hate to do right now, but if they're really great money and they're one-offs, and you're like, all right, it's a lot of money to do that one thing. So I'm going to do that, even though I feel like I'm whoring it out a little. All right, maybe. So I don't do a lot of that, to be honest. I say no to most things, but you basically have to do that with everything. Even as a housewife, what do you say? Do you need to be working out for an hour and a half or do you need to be working out for 40 minutes because sleep is becoming so important to you because it makes you feel better and, you know? What's the return on your investment of your time?
3: Go back to the business for a second. So Skinny Girl, we covered. Uh, You have another brand, Bethany. How's it different from Skinny Girl? What is it? Where did the idea come from? And that's a big move, right? To call a company your name. There's no escaping. the, 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 The quality assurance is all down to you of every single thing that thing does. Maybe just talk to where it came from first.
0: It's a great note. Great question. Martha Stewart, her stock was affected when she uh, went to jail because it's her namesake. And it's a reason why people don't name brands after themselves because it's their ass. As it turns out, Skinny Girl is my ass anyway. The only reason I own Skinny Girl is because I kept all the intellectual property except for cocktails when I sold that. Um, But it still associated me. But there is a buffer. You can say... It, it, but it, you know there is a buffer and it's not sure. just your name. Uh, in the beginning, I remember I had an agent who thought that I should be launching Bethany because I was a chef and cooking and all of that. And it's just like double dutch, you wait for when to jump in and when it makes sense. And launching eyewear, it just didn't make any sense. It seemed like very sophisticated, elevated fashion. And that felt not like a girl, it just felt like a a woman, a fashionable woman, and it didn't make any sense, the word skinny. Where that might make sense attached to popcorn or preserves or dressing. It just made no sense to me with glasses. So it felt like, okay, this is a good place to start. And we're launching Swim in March on HSN. Uh, and it also felt elevated and it felt too tricky to have the word skinny. Like having the word skinny in the title of jeans was pushing it where it's bending but not breaking. I felt that swimwear, and that was a, I write about that in my next book coming out, Business is Personal. Because I talked about that to HSN. They wanted the proven brand. And I said, I just, I don't feel comfortable in swim. I, I had to really you know push back. And you have to do that as a business person based on your gut. I just felt that that should be a really sophisticated, elevated woman's line. And also not to have the word skinny girl in the title.
3: So two or three broader questions to, to start to close us out. Um, what's been the sort of rose and thorn of, of your, of your career, like the thing you've loved. And then the other thing that you really wish hadn't happened or
0: you'd done differently. The rose of my career has been showing that it can be done showing women, you know, you're all talking so much about what we're doing and what we, what we're about to do. I mean, really doing it and being able to show people that I did it from nothing. And I really had $8,000 to my name and my bank account when I started on television. And so showing real time in a granular step-by-step way that it's absolutely possible. I think that's liberating to people. I think that's just, there's nothing like that feeling of doing it on your own. Um, so that's the rose, just that you can do it. Go get it. It's possible. It's the American dream. I love that. Um, and... The thorn, I guess, has been being entangled in it, not knowing, not having a, always having a great relationship with it. Feeling sometimes like I want to get off the ride and I'm really not meant to be a famous person. I'm meant to be, I just struggle. I'm a homebody and I just, it takes everything that I have in my body to get myself dressed and put makeup on. So this whole public career was given to me to avoid me being sort of home and depressed and just never leaving my pajamas, which is what I was before I was well known and who I am now when I'm not supposed to be out and be public. So it's this weird mixed bag of who I really am, but it gives me that gift of a reason to just not be home and insular. I'm a very introverted, insular person, which shocks people, but so it's that yin and yang of all of that, um, and I struggle with it. So my thorn is the struggle hmm. of the the going out, but staying home, the money, but being not needing anything. The all of that is a very serious. The, the being busy with just wanting to relax and wanting to the idea having the idea and needing to execute it with like, just stop. I just stop the noise and the madness. I just don't want to do anything. I, don't, I want to get off the ride. So it's just this constant balance yin and yang of those two forces pulling me and achieving that in the middle balance.
3: When are you most comfortable? Is it when you're, I mean, th- th- this is a ridiculous cor- sort of like Norman Rockwell portrait, but is it like sort of you alone by a fire with a reading a book, and you're not you're not in the midst of 15 other people at a social event in in New York uh, on a Friday night. Like what? Where where are you? Your truest self? Do you feel like?
0: I think I'm I'm my truest self when I'm creating an experience. So if I'm with Bryn and Paul, and we you know, just dress like normal people, jeans and a sweater, but we look not like we're in pajamas. And we're going out somewhere to dinner or I'm going to take Bryn to uh, ice skate and look at the Saks windows or the Radio City Music Hall. But so I've made an effort. I'm being I'm in the world, not being social because I'm not really talking to anyone, but I'm interacting um, and we're experiencing something. I feel at home when I'm on a vacation with uh, Bryn and Paul and we're experiencing and living a bit, but not being so introverted. So I'm not the most myself, I'm the most my true self when I'm home in pajamas, just lounging around and cooking. But if it's the, the spot of the sweet spot of yeah. being a little loungy and a little social, it's just that. It's just enough to feel like I'm part of the, 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 the world. So it's a real when I have a reason to go do something exciting and fun. Going to the jingle ball the iHeart Jingle Ball with Brynn. It's the perfect vortex of what's good. It's like family. It's an experience. It's entertainment. I checked the box. I went out. I put on a cute outfit. I wore some of these clothes I buy for no (laughs) no apparent reason whatsoever. And I saw some people and I laughed and I then went home to bed.
3: You going Friday night to Jingle Ball?
0: Exactly. So that's my big, big Met Ball for me.
3: I'll be there. I'll be there. I'm going, I'm coming up to New York for it. And I agree. That is a pretty good sweet spot between like, well, I don't want to be home alone in my pajamas all the time, but I also don't want to go to like a big hobnob event. That's a pretty good middle ground. What, what percent of your, of your success of your life do you feel like is luck and what percent of it is is because y- you either think you're you smart or you worked hard is not luck, whatever the opposite of luck is. What's, how does that break down for you?
0: That's great because I asked that and I never thought about it for myself, which is really funny. So um, 80% hard work, 10% drive, fearlessness, passion, uh, 5% being prepared and just like showing up, which is part of hard work, but it's just different. It's just like, I'm just teed up and don't take anything for granted. And then 5% luck.
3: That is a very small amount of luck.
0: Yeah, I don't know, only an ex of mine is the only person that's ever called me lucky because he was figuring, he didn't know what he wanted to do in his own life. And he said, I'm not like you, I'm not lucky. And I literally, you would have thought a witch on a broom Came out, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? You're the only person who's ever called me lucky. Like, I have no one in my life has ever, ever accused me of not working hard. Not a partner, not an assistant, not anything. I mean, yourself included, I'm sure you definitely would not say that I don't work
3: hard. I agree. I'm just wondering, like, when you look around at other people, do you feel like anyone who is successful is this, let me put it this way, is it a fallacy when people who are who are not successful, and maybe jealous, and maybe trying to make it on their own, and they ca- haven't yet, that they say, oh, it's all luck anyway. Are you like, that's not real, like anyone who's famous. It's actually like 5% luck, and a lot more work than you can imagine. Or are you, Are you? and, and, and there's no right answer, are you unique in this way? Where you're like, no, I think a lot of it is luck for a lot of famous people, just not me. <laughs>
0: We always hear the story after they were famous. You know, Renee Zellweger walked on a street into the movie Jerry Maguire, and none of that is the fact. These people work very hard. They have been working for a long time. They've been teed up. Are there lucky people? Are there TikTokers right now that are famous right now? Absolutely. Are they reaching out to me and asking me how to take this thing to the next level and how to get 16 minutes out of it? Absolutely. The Kardashians are not lucky. They are were lucky to be raised in Beverly Hills in a wealthy one-percentile family. Paris Hilton was as well. They are not billionaires because they grew up as Robert Kardashian's kid. And they're just not because I know a lot of other really, really rich heirs that that haven't achieved it like that because for whatever it is that they're all doing, and if it's all Chris or third Chris and Kim, it's definitely not all Chris. They're, work, they're working hard. Kendall Jenner, I know she's making all this money, and it was a great to be given a leg up. But it's what you do with the opportunity. If you're given luck, what do you do with that? So, okay, they have experienced luck. But they have certainly taken it into the end zone. You know, And whether we agree with the means in which that's happened, that's not even the point. The point is people who are very successful, who are not born into billions work very hard i don't know anybody that has gone from zero to a billion dollars or one million to a billion dollars that doesn't work their ass off i just don't know anybody nicole kidman is in a million uh movies she was with tom cruise at one point did that help her maybe but like she's nicole kidman because she's nicole kidman she's worked her ass off yeah that's just what i
3: think this uh this job I've had has been uh, the thing I'm most grateful for, I think, at the end of the day is um, being able to interact with folks that I couldn't have imagined uh, sharing a conversation with from, you know, Malcolm Gladwell to Charlemagne to Will Ferrell, Shonda Rhimes' team. But uh, you, I, I really do count you on that short list of people that's just been such a pleasure to be able to work with and and more than that, to talk to and learn stuff from. So I really appreciate you letting me uh, hijack one of these episodes and turn the microphone back around on you or the interview back around on you. And it's been awesome. Thanks for for having me on.
0: Oh, my God. Thank you. This was incredible. Overshot the mark. I'm thrilled. I just haven't talked about any of this. So I appreciate you so much. Thanks for everything. And we'll soon announce our next project together. So that's something exciting to look forward to. And I'm just chomping at the bit for the third one. Once we get that one off, I'm always thinking about the next thing with you.
3: And then the fourth and fifth. Thank the you very much. Th- Thank you very much, Bethany. I appreciate it. And thanks for everybody Thank for uh, for listening.
0: Thank you. so. Someone would interview me because I'm always interviewing others. And I think people know a little bit about me, but maybe they don't know a lot about me and the audience has changed. So... I don't presume that people know that much about me and I wanted to think of who could interview me that I respect and who would understand this medium and get a meaningful conversation out of me and Connell Byrne came to mind and I have just been blown away by his questions, by his grace, by his partnership, he's just a class act and I just love talking to him. I love iHeart. I love the opportunity to be in the best possible home for this podcast and another one that we're announcing soon. And I'm just grateful for you. So thank you for taking this ride with me. We do things differently on different days. And I've been reading the comments and you seem to love the twists and turns and the rants and just the the changes in the way we're doing things. So I appreciate that. This will be no different. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Thank you.
5: Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.